Okay. HBC, part four, even though it's only chapter three. Okay. Welcome, Ben. He knows exactly when to tune in. Right when we start, missed all the good opening jokes. Okay, I'm not repeating them for you. Maybe. No, it wasn't recorded. Okay. Chapter three, here we go. Did everybody read? I'm just curious, did everybody read this chapter yet? Zach, you did. Ben, you read it? No, that's fine. Guys, if everybody watches Chaim's screen, you get to watch a baseball game and the book. So, yeah, he's in City Field. That's pretty cool. I'm not missing it. I I'm mean, not, believe me. I'm, missing, so I might have to hang up, but right now. All right. Fine, here we go. Page 22. Chapter 3, What Are Humans Made Of? What Are Humans Made Of? Vienna, 1960. Viktor Frankl, the world-famous author and psychologist, was ready to uproot his whole life, his research, his clinical practice, his family moved to Australia. Viktor Frankl was a big-time psychologist, but um, he was a Talmud of Freud, as, as people have read. But he went against Freud. He didn't hold of his shittas in psychology. And at the time, Freud was the popular opinion. And when he went against the grain, he was ridiculed, made fun of, and he was ready to just... He had to leave. He was going to leave Vienna and go to Australia. Having survived the unimaginable horrors of the Holocaust, he was, he was Jewish. He was in the Holocaust. Emerging from the ashes of Auschwitz, with an unorthodox and daring theory of human psychology, which we'll discuss in a minute, he could no longer endure the constant derision of his life's work by his colleagues in the field. All of his peers were making fun of him, saying that he's a loser, saying that everything he's saying is wrong. Frankel's view of human nature differed in certain key areas from the party-line views that dominated the discipline of psychology after the war, making him and his work a consistent target of public scholarly ridicule. Anybody who tries to come into a, a well-built system, not that it's good, it's just a system, and he wants to say something new, he wants to be machadish something, he's got to be prepared for, uh, for wrath. The Baal Shem, Rabbi Nachman, they all had to take, to take heat. It was this very diminution of his deepest held beliefs regarding the inner makeup of the human being that was the last straw. He could survive the attacks of the Nazis on his body. He was in the concentration camps and the Nazis beat him and they also made fun. But he could no longer bear the attacks of his peers on his soul. You hear this? It was worse for him, the attacks, the ridicule, the derision that he was receiving from his peers in the field, human beings who were upstanding human beings who would never punch him or anything like that. That was worse than what the Nazis did to him. The Nazis, he made it through. But this was too difficult for him. It was at that moment when Marguerite Cozen, I don't know, Chachas? I don't know. <laughs> I don't oh, know. Whatever. A well-known opera singer and descendant of Vizhnitz Hasidim knocked at his door in Vienna. So this lady comes to his door 
When Dr. Frankel came to the door, he found a sharply dressed woman whom he had never met before standing on his doorstep. She announced herself as the bearer of a personal message addressed to him by a Hasidic Rebbe of Menachem Mendel Schneerson from Brooklyn in New York. Now, Viktor Frankl never contacted the Rebbe. I don't even know if he knew the Rebbe existed. But when the Rebbe met this lady, Marguerite Kozen, whatever, who had their own story, and she said she's from Vienna, she's going to go back to Vienna, he said, if you're going to go back, please come talk to me first because I need you to do two things for me, two favors. And she went back to him before she went to Vienna. And one of the things he said to her was, there's a psychologist, Dr. Frankel, in Vienna. I need you to go and relay a message to him. How the Rebbe knew? It's like all the other thousands of stories. We have no idea how he knew. But what was the message? Upon hearing this startling explanation for her visit, coming from this rabbi, and recognizing the name of the Rebbe, oh, I guess he talking knew who the Rebbe was, Dr. Frankel promptly invited Mrs. Chachas inside to speak privately. The Rebbe asked me to tell you, she began, that you must not give up. You must be strong. Do not be disturbed by those who ridicule you. You will succeed and your work will achieve a major breakthrough. Upon hearing this reassuring voice from afar, Dr. Frankel broke into tears. Dispirited, he had just recently began filling, filing, filling out his immigration papers to Australia. He had given up, but the Rebbe's words of encouragement brought Dr. Frankel back to life. After regaining his composure, Dr. Frankel responded vigorously with a renewed commitment to continue his life's work. This new type of psychology, which we have, we're going to discuss. And indeed he did. Following this fateful meeting, Dr. Frankel redoubled his efforts in spreading his unique insights and therapeutic approaches to healing the human psyche. Not long afterwards, his magnum opus, Man's Search for Meaning, was translated into English, sparking immediate popular interest in his work and worldview that has continued to this very day. That work alone has been translated into 28 languages and sold over 10 million copies, giving birth to an entire genre of self-help literature, as well as the field of, I don't know how to say, logotherapy, Frankel's unique philosophy and practice of psychological health and healing. Let's, let me read one more here. History tells us that Viktor Frankl went on to become one of the most influential thinkers of the 20th century. He lived through the hell of the Holocaust and nevertheless found the strength to put forth an inspiring view of the human psyche that diverged in fundamental ways from the accepted norms of the time. He lived, he experienced in the Nazi camps hell and he was able to find within that life and it was from those experiences he writes about and we're going to discuss a few of them he came up with a whole new way of psychology because he had to he had to experience the Gehenna but it was for a Tachlis so even his experiencing Gehenna was for a Tachlis and the Tachlis was that he would come out with this new psychology but why was the Rebbe so concerned with Dr. Frankel in particular with the fate of his work. There were plenty of psychologists at the time. What was it about Dr. Frankel's view of the human psyche that so piqued the Rebbe's interest and attracted his personal attention and support? So that's what this chapter is going to be about. What was it about Frankel's work 
And how does it connect to positivity bias? Rabbi Yaakov, would you like to continue? You following with us? I know you have a different book, maybe. Get the same book, buddy. You're on mute, by the way. FYI. I was with you until like two lines, and then I lost. I think you're on 24, 25. We're on 24. Okay. Okay. To answer that question, we must dig deeper into the beginnings of psychoanalysis itself. Is that the right place, I guess? Yeah. In the 1920s, Victor Frankl was a prize student of Sigmund Freud. Indeed, from the very inception of the field of psychoanalysis, Frankl was, the early, was an early adopter and gifted adept of Freud's radical theories and practices. However, after a time, their ideas about the shape and substance of human nature began to diverge. And Freudian thought the human self is defined by and entangled in a perpetual struggle to balance competing drives and desires conscious and unconscious. Frankel, by contrast, emphasized the soul's potential to transcend the limitations of the self through search for deeper meaning and acts of loving kindness. So the search was... Let's review. A search for deeper meaning. His whole psychology is based on this search for Havana. Right? That's what, that's what means meaning, to understand. What are we doing in this world? What's the tachlis? Which is, I was just thinking about today, it's very important to know that the Elul that we're in right now, that's what we're doing right now. We're searching for a deeper meaning. And Elul happens to be the same gematria as Bina. Right? Elul is 67. Bina is also 67. Because Elul is the time of Bina to Lahavin, to understand. What's the, what's the tachlis of this, of this, of last year? And then Mamele the tachlis of this year. Versus Freud, who was, who was like obsessed with with behaviors and, and taivas, the unconscious mind, which was very popular. And I think it's even noted that the, one of the Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, even went to him for, for work, for psychological treatment. But after wow. a time, Frankel proved something deeper. Because even though Freud might be right in certain ways, he was only touching the surface of something that was even, there was something even deeper. Which often tell me them find. The Rebbe starts a Torah, and then he, he brings out the, the big klal, and then the Talmudim can go even deeper. So Frankel was able to find something much, much deeper, which was the soul, a meaning of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This fundamental rift between their perspectives only grew wider and more pronounced over the years. Sigmund Freud, having passed away in 1939, was never forced to face the ultimate inhumanity of the Holocaust. One can only imagine how that might have complicated or clarified his initial insights into the psychic nature of the human being. Okay, Victor Frankl, on the other hand, survived Auschwitz. He heard its terrible sounds and saw its dark visions. He tasted its putrid waters and smelled its rotting corpses. But he also witnessed miraculous deeds of utter selflessness and caring. If Freud were in the concentration camps, Frankl wrote, he would have changed his position. Beyond the basic natural drives and instincts of people, he would have encountered the human capacity for self-transcendence. We who live in the concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. It may have been few in number, but they they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, 
choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. This is this is massive. This is what we've been That's discussing. Right. This is this is true bechira. True bechira is that everything in life happens to a person, but you choose how to react to it. That's bechira. You can't choose if it's going to be sunny today or it's going to be cloudy today. You have no choice. Nobody could choose that. All you could choose is, are you still going to smile if it's cloudy? Or are you going to pout when it's cloudy and only smile when it's sunny? It once hit me, and I think it's Emma's. We say, Hakobi de Shemaim, famous Maimon Chazal. Hakobi de Shemaim, Chutz Shemaim. Everything is Bidei Shemaim, except for Yerush Shemaim. So most people learn it as, all of Gashmis is, is Bidei Shemaim, but when it comes to Yerush Shemaim, when it comes to Ruchnias, that you have to do. But really, it says Hakobi de Shemaim. Everything. Everything that happens to a person, Ruchnias, Gashmis, is really Hakobi de Shemaim. Kodesh runs everything. He's mashgiach on over every prat. We believe that. He runs everything. So what is the chutz? What did our Kodesh Baruch Hu give us? He makes it sunny. He makes it cloudy. He gives us the, the ability, the talent to learn, to daven, to make money, not to make money, the opportunities. It's all from Him. So what do we have? What's the Yerush Shemayim? Yerush Shemayim is Yerush Elosh and Re'iyah. It's the same letters. Yerush and Re'iyah, that's what I'm saying. Did you see Shemayim? What do you see when everything in life is is happening to you? Do you see uh, a nature? Do you see a world of hefker, of anarchy, of just happenstance? Or do you see that this is Shemayim? When it's cloudy, if you think that weather is random, it's when it's cloudy, I'm sad. When it's raining, I'm sad. And when it's sunny, I'm happy. But if you see the Shemayim, when you see a Kaddish Baruch, the Yad Hashem, in the weather or in anything, so I could still be happy when it's cloudy because that's the, that's the Ratzon Hashem. That's my Ratzon too. That's Bechira. That's your choice. How do you react to life? So when he saw that there were people who were stripped of everything, physicality, they had no food, they had no respect, they had no clothing. They had nothing. So every person who was living in Freud's world would have given up. There's nothing. This person has nothing. You should just be living self selfishly. Whatever bread I can make, whatever get get right. I have to survival. Yet I, he saw Frankel saw with his own eyes people who are still willing to give of themselves when there's nothing to give. He saw in that something that's truly greater than anything that Freud even could fathom. Something that transcended a body. It was an ashama. Higher than, 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 than reality itself. Chaim, you, can you read now? Or you're like, uh, you don't have to read if you don't want to. Should we, should we go to someone else? I can try. I can I mean, no one's ever read Positivity buys in City Field before. All right, okay, good, I'm doing it. All right. Um, let me just see. If, if it's thus within the crucible, am I after that? Is that the right paragraph? Yeah. Yeah. It was thus within the crucible of that horrific concentration camp that Frankel came to refine and crystallize earlier intuitions concerning the underlying realities of human psychology. Once the war was over, Dr. Frankel could not avoid the inevitable collision 
with the founding principles and devoted followers of his formal teaching. The essential question is whether an underlying integral spiritual essence, soul, exists beneath it all. And we define by the limited circumstantial ingredients that make up our particular personality. Or is there something deeper and infinite within our makeup that we can access and activate to transcend our own limitations? Okay, I have to, I have to read that, pa- that. We have to read that paragraph again. Let's read that again slowly. The essential question is whether an underlying integral spiritual essence, a soul, exists beneath it all. This was the machlokas between Freud and Franklin. We know who we paskin like. Are we, listen to this line. Are we defined by the limited circumstantial ingredients that make up our pers- particular personality? Are we defined by our actions? Are we defined by the way we think necessarily? Are we defined, if we grow up in a certain situation where they tell me that green is red and red is green, are we defined by these things? Or is there something deeper and infinite within our makeup that's deeper than any of my behaviors and any of my emotions? Something deeper that we can access and activate to transcend these limitations. We're limited in our knowledge because it's what we taught as, as little kids. We're limited based on our social structures. We're limited based on our education, where we were taught, the teachers we were taught by, our parents. It's all limiting to a certain narrow view. Does that mean that's who you are? Because those are the programs that were downloaded into your brain you didn't even choose? Franklin said, no way. There's something much, much deeper that we have inside of ourselves that if we can activate, we can transcend all of that limit, limited narrowness potentially selfishness. We have to first know that it exists and then we have to try to access that. And when that happens, everything that was once narrow becomes can be opened up. Everything that looks bad could be good. Everything that you were told to be scared of, you don't have to be scared of. This is the potential that we have if we search for the meaning of life. Ben, get into it. Let's go, buddy. But unmute yourself first, by the way. Why don't you, why don't you read it while you play guitar? Maybe like make it like Carl Bach, you know? Um, so I'm just there. I'm down. Okay, each in his own way. to uncover what lies hidden within our psychic depths, depths beneath the masks we show the world. Okay. They both wanted to know what truly defines and drives human behavior. Who are we really? And more importantly, who can we be? In response to these questions, both Freud and Frankl posited the existence of a stratified structure of human consciousness, meaning that each human contains multiple levels of awareness, including, of course, the unconscious regions of the psyche that exert primal influences upon our behavior and express themselves in mysterious ways through dreams and language. Dr. Frankel believed that underneath the varying self-serving or socio-adaptive drives, there is something deeper, an inner essence, a soul that transcends and includes complex elements of the psyche and the mind. Right, anything that, any way that we think, any, any, everything in life that you do, you think, 
your emotions are all really coming. They're all levushe hanefesh. They're just garments of the soul. And any program that we've been downloaded are socio-adaptive. Anything that we got from our social standings, our social structures, all of that is a lavush. It's just a garment. Would you define yourself based on the shirt you wear? Some people do. That's because they have nothing underneath. But would a real person define themselves, their icker essence of life, based on the color of shirt they wear, or the yarmulke they wear, the sneakers they wear? No. That's just shtick. That's just, you know, a way of expressing yourself, like, because you feel like you need to express yourself in some silly way like that. But a normal human being whose logic would never define his essence based on his ripped jeans, he's got issues. But it's not his essence. That's what Frank was saying. We have to know there's something much deeper. There's the soul that, that transcends all of these elements. Carry on, Ben. This level of our being is primarily driven by a striving to find meaning in one's life. Hence the title of his best-selling book, Man's Search for Meaning. You know, probably my favorite pasuk of all... I don't know my favorite pasuk of all time, but a very fav- favorite pasuk of mine... Ready for this? <clears throat> it goes like this. Im If you're mevakish, if you seek it like kesef, money, ukmatmonim techapsena, and like a buried treasure, you search for it, right? Oz tovin, then you'll understand. Then you'll know the meaning, oz tovin yiras Hashem, vidas elokim timatze. Then you'll understand yiras Hashem, and the das of God, the godly wisdom, will be found. If you search for it, you will find it. That's the meaning of life. The meaning of life is what a Kodesh Baruch Hu thinks the meaning of life is. And he implanted that within our neshama. And we can all access that when we decide to go deeper and not be caught up with just the physical realm of existence and the behaviors and again the emotions, there's something deeper. First, we need to hear, we need to read these words, we need to believe this. And slowly but surely, we can enter into that place. One more paragraph here, my friend. This fundamental difference of opinion between Freud and Franco concerning what lies at the root of the human psyche is beautifully encapsulated in a conversation between the Rebbe and a well-known professor who complained to the Rebbe about the twisted nature of people. Let's not do this. Hit it, Zach. All right. From my encounters in life, I have noticed that people might seem nice and charming at the outset. They may express concern for you, show interest in your life, and even openly admit that they love you. But if one digs just a little bit deeper than the outer surface... Some require more digging than others. At their core, everyone is exactly the same. Selfish, arrogant, egotistical. Why is this the nature of mankind? The Rebbe responded with the parable. When one walks on the street, things often look so elegant and appealing. Tall, flowery trees, fancy houses, paved roads, and expensive cars. But if one takes a shovel and begins digging beneath the surface, he discovers dirt and mud. Nothing like the beautiful but deceptive world above ground. At this point, the professor was nodding his head in agreement. But if he weren't to give up, the Rebbe concluded, and would continue digging deeper, 
he would eventually encounter precious minerals and diamonds. You hear this? Boom. The Rebbe never, there can never be, the end can never be negative. It can't be. The Rebbe said, just keep digging. If your end, if you're digging, your shovel hits negativity, hence pessimism, it ends up with chesronos and doubts and worries, then you're not digging far enough. Just keep going. There's more there. Don't stop. We hit a negativity. We hit a doubt. We just stop. We're like, oh no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Just just keep going. You'll find there's there's a gold. There's gold underneath there. The Rebbe acknowledged the fact that beneath the surface of people's outward personalities, there often lies a much less flattering psychic reality. However, the Rebbe further stressed that beneath all the dirt and mud, there is something deeper, something beautiful and holy. There is a soul. This is perhaps why the Rebbe took such a strong interest in Dr. Frankel and his work. Frankel's view of the human psyche corresponding closely with that of a Hasidic understanding. We have a soul beneath the surface of the self. This soul forms the very core of our being and connects us to, the other, to other souls and to a higher power. Activation of this core point within is what allows us to transcend our baser nature and become a force for good in the world. Throughout the years, following his initial motivating message to Dr. Frankel, the Rebbe wrote admiringly about Frankel's approach. It is obvious that some doctors have helped and healed their patients in straight ways, especially since one professor, Frankel, found the courage in his soul to declare and announce that contrary to the opinion of the famous founder of psychoanalysis, Freud, faith in God and a religious inclination in general, which gives meaning to life and etc., is one of the most effective ways of healing. I found it. I found it interesting that that Frankel, who who came up with this this search for meaning, like we were saying, and he was able to live through the through, through the Nazi Holocaust, yet he was getting beat down to the point of giving up by his peers. He needed the Rebbe to really just teach him. No, no, no. The search for meaning is even in the situation that you're in right now. Right? Frankel, we can't imagine. It's very difficult to stand up to your peers. But the Rebbe taught him, <laughs> you can't give up. You created the science and the psychology of never giving up. Because if you search for the meaning, then nothing can stop you. Because you can transcend all of that stuff. So the Rebbe was sent, right? To teach Franco his own medicine. That's what happened. It's an unbelievable thing. Additionally, the Rebbe continued to support and endorse his work, even suggesting to other scholars and psychologists that Franco's work would be a good place to find and forge further connections between the views of psychology and the teachings of Hasidism. Uh, what more, despite the fact that um, Dr. Frankel rarely engages the Jewish community in any public way. He became a consistent supporter of Chabad's work in Vienna for the rest of his life. Frankel was it was a little bit of a sad story. <clears throat> he ended up marrying a Goy before the Rebbe spoke to him. He married a Catholic. Mamish, when it says there, the late, when that lady came to his door, she was a Jew. She said that she saw crosses hanging from like the ceiling and stuff. And yet the Rebbe still, still tried to be mechazek him. And in the story that I read, Frankel, it was told over by his 
Goyish wife and his Goyish children that every day he would lock himself in his room and one time his son followed him in to see what he was doing and he was putting on tefillin. He put on tefillin every day for the rest of his life and he was upset when his son came in. But just from the... Who knows what the, what the Rebbe did was mechazak him with those few words. He mamish gave him a whole chiyas and a connection to Yiddishkeit even though he wasn't, you know, form, he wasn't really from. But, you know, you, you light a fire under a person, you give him back his search for meaning, you don't know what it could do for a person. Finish, so finish up. It is clear from all of the above stories that ultimately, despite uncontested uncont- influence in the field of psychology, the Rebbe felt a kinship toward Dr. Frankel's ideas and approach to healing and motivating the human being to become more human. The Rebbe agreed with Dr. Frankel that each person has the potential to be so much more than just their body and their ego. By activating their inner point of ultimate meaning, a person can escape the quicksand of self-centered obsessions and truly become holy. Here we're, this whole whole chapter was a, was a difficult one in certain ways because it's, it's very, it's like out there. Like, what exactly are we saying? The rest of the book and what we've already learned really is an explanation to what we're, we're speaking about in this parak, in this chapter. So I want to continue now for a few minutes. I know people maybe didn't read it, maybe did, maybe didn't, but it's a little bit early, so I want to go, I want to keep going for a few minutes. So in chapter four, who is a good Jew? In the previous chapter, we explored the different views of Viktor Frankl and Sigmund Freud concerning human nature in general. What are people made of? What really lies beneath the surface of the masks we wear and present to the world? Right? Are we just made up of desire? Oh, he says, are we splintered selves motivated by competing desires, like Freud said? Conscious, subconscious, the ego, the id, the super id, the super ego, whatever he was talking about. We're just Bali Taiva. Really, Freud was dissecting the Nefesh Bahamas. That's really what he was doing. But Frankel discovered the Nefesh Elokus, right? Which we know from the Tanya already. But Freud didn't know that, and neither did Frankel. But, or are we aspiring souls, seeking deeper meaning and connection with others? So really, you need both sets of psychology in a certain way. But Frankel's is the Iker one, is the one that we want to deal with, because it's the one that deals with the Nefesh Elokus. The answer to these questions that we subscribe to are not just the- theoretical or academic. They define in our minds what it is to be human, which in turn validates our challenges, what we take to be acceptable or achievable goals and behaviors. In so many ways, our lives, the way we live, the way what becomes of us, are our personal answer to that most existential of questions, who and what am I? <clears throat> this, is getting, this is a little deep. I once heard a very nice thing. I, I don't know if it was probably from a guy, and I don't remember the exact quote, but he says, we're not human beings trying to live a way, in a way of spirituality. Rather, we're spiritual beings trying to cope with a human existence. Right? Freud was coming from the place of, we're, we're, we're a physical being, we have a lot of desires, there might be some spirituality over there. Frankel said, no. We're be'etzim, in our etzim, in our essence. We're in the shamu, we're a soul, we're holy. 
And we have to come to terms and to cope with the body and the physical realm and the desires that we have. But the desires we have are only garments of who we really are. That's why when we get confused, we have doubts. When we become negative based on how we act, based on how we think, when we become negative, when we become down, when we feel like we have chesronos, we come to places of atzvus and atzvus and yeish, that means we're, we're, we're allowing ourselves to be controlled by the tuffel, the subordinate of our life, the garments. We're allowing our shirt to tell us how to feel. A person gets a stain on his shirt and becomes all depressed. Right? Which is pretty normal for a lot of people. They get a stain on their beautiful yellow sh- or their white shirt. They get a nice big ketchup stain. And they're, ugh, now they're in a bad mood. Now they're upset. Now no one's going to like me. Now I'm not going to make the cut. Now I'm not making the job. Now people are going to make fun of me. And all these things are coming to this head. That's called insanity. So I got ketchup on my shirt. So what? It doesn't define who I am. That's going to tell me to be happy or sad. That's like the guy who wakes up and it's clouding and he's sad. Ugh, what a waste of a day. I wish it could just be sunny. It can't be sunny every day. You live in New York, man. What do you expect? Of course you need to catch up in your shirt. Your shirt doesn't define you anyway. We get mamish thrown off by this silliness. We have to remember that we're in a shama who has to cope with this outside stuff, but that doesn't define who you are. Yaakov, you want to say something? Get... It, it reminded me of a, it reminded me of a quote. Yeah. Can I share it? And my my little brother sent a quote out a day. He says there was like a blind and physically disabled person who was asked how he overcomes. He says, "I'm blind and have physical disabilities. Why should I also choose to be sad on top of that?" So simple. So simple. That's the bechira. Why would I choose to be sad? Already blind. And has a disability. I'm going to be sad now, but it, it's it, our logic is always like, no, of course you should be sad. You it's are. Blind. Yeah, you're blind. You are sad. Of course you're sad. How could you not be sad? That's natural. It's like now I want to be sad. Why would I do that? I'm already blind. We have to separate the outer world and the inner world. The outer world is is the reality, the physical reality, the situations of life. That's the outer world. Guy's blind. The inner reality is your choice of how do you react to that. That's not predefined. It's become that way. But who said? Who said you can't be blind and happy? Not the Chasham we should ever know from such an Isayun. But who says you can't be blind and happy? It's like I was making fun in a different Chabur. I was making fun of the concept now called hanger. Right? A guy's hungry and he becomes angry. You ever heard this? He's hangry. Classic, you know, little kid thing. He's hungry and he's angry. I, I, I tell my kids... You're hungry. I get it. I get it. You're hungry. You didn't eat breakfast yet. Now, we know you're not dying. You're not starving, Baruch Hashem. You're hungry. Why does that turn into anger? Where did that happen? You're hungry. Okay, so you could be hungry. We could try to find you food. We could try to work on it. And if we don't find food, let's say we don't find food. So now you ha- there's a rule. You have to become angry. Who made up that rule? Nobody. Did. You know who made the rule? The Nevesh Bahamas. Because you're controlled by the stain on your shirt. We're we're literally insane people. 
who have no control over the smallest little things. We have to take control. We no, we're, we're human, no? Yeah, we're human, but again, the humanness is just the lavush of the soul underneath. The soul underneath says, I should be sad too if I'm blind. The body is blind. Then Shama says, so I should be sad? Right? Make the choice. Take control. Think. The problem is we don't use our brains. Our body lets us talk. Oh, you're blind, so you're sad. Oh, you're hungry, so you're angry. That's the body's logic. The body's logic is, we don't like to use this word in my house, but it's stupid. The body's logic? What does that mean? The body gets upset when, when, uh, when, he, when he doesn't get exactly what he wants. So in this chapter, again, there's a Hakdama to four, we'll continue with this next week, but in this chapter, we will continue this line of inquiry as we analyze a further extension of the Rebbe's positivity bias as it applies to the Jewish soul in particular. So this chapter is going to be a Hemshech, a continuation of the past, and it will hopefully bring to light a little bit of maybe potential of the confusion of last chapter, which was a lot of psychology stuff. But now we're going to bring it home with the positivity bias of the Rebbe. So next week we'll, be, we'll continue, and uh, we'll continue with, with, with chapter 4. Awesome, thank you. Any last, Thanks, any last parting words or, or quotes? Um, has anyone read um, Frankel's book? I did read Frankel's book. Weinberger is oh. a big proponent of it. How was? Now, everybody has different approaches and views and different shamas. I didn't enjoy it so much. <laughs> the Yisod, the Yisod is big. But, you know, the Yisod, if you learn Hasidus, it's, you don't really gain that much more, but there's still what to gain. You know, so I, it's hard to know. Each person's different. Um, he, he goes through, 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 through the Nazi camps. He goes through it. He, he speaks about it. But a lot of psychology now has been based on that. And again, if you learn Hasidus in a deep way, you really, like the Rebbe, the Rebbe didn't need to read his book. He already knew it from beforehand. So, <laughs> not saying not to read the book, but if you learn Hasidus in, a, in, a, in the right way, you'll already have that knowledge. Exactly. Hey, awesome. thanks for spotlighting me, buddy. I don't see what that does. I don't know what it does. Well, it makes <laughs> me look bigger. And everybody else is smaller. Huh? Maybe. It's not, Maybe. huh? A little bit. And Alcoponum, so good. So uh and so we should continue. I hope this is uh, I hope this is a little for people. I hope it's, it's awesome. Been, I enjoyed. You gotta keep reading during the week and keep thinking and, and chasering over and just it takes time to settle in and to just expand in the mind and it's a shem. We should make real changes. Bemis, real changes in, in the way we think, in the way we process, and the way we choose. The way we choose to react to life. Can I ask you a question on something you said sure you said that when your kids they tell you about this new term hangry so you tell them no no anger, they didn't tell me about it they are it uh, <laughs> so and then you try to explain to them your body's hungry you don't have to be angry it's your choice what do they say I'm asking because I'm a talking now and so I need, I need to be prepared I know I know right so your child who's a few weeks old Rebbe, you told me that about the book. She's naturally hungry. See, she's hungry. She cries. 
<laughs> right? A baby's naturally hangry. I'm trying to explain to her that it's just her body. Right. <laughs> the, uh, it, the, the children, it depends on the age of the child. Because you're trying right. to... Because when a person's hungry, then angry, that's Nefesh Bahamas, that's very emotional, that's very body-oriented. You need a child who's already at, an, at a level that he can understand things. Um, so a child, eight years and up maybe, can start to slowly, slowly make, you know, understand that. You know, it takes about a thousand times to get it through their mind, really, you know, but I think that's the proper way to teach them. Just, you got to keep hammering away so at it. talk to them like an adult. I and try sometimes, not always. Sometimes I just yell at them, you know, but... <laughs> just joking. I mean, sometimes I do yell at them. Sometimes, because <laughs> when you're a behemoth, sometimes you need to be yelled at. Like, that's how it goes. Sometimes sure. logic's not going to work. Their own benefit. Yeah. You know, you have to, you know, have, to, have to do it out of love. You can't yell at them out of anger. You have to yell at them out of love because you know that this is the only thing that's going to work right now. Because sometimes when you have a behemoth... What do you do to Bama? Should I, get, can I, show, should I go talk to the cow? Mr. Cow, you, you think you could just calm down for a minute? You think it's Shaykh? No, you throw him in his room, you lock the door. But with love. And with a smile. And waiting and ready for that, you know, for him to come out. So we should be Zoha. That we should all go into that place of his Bodidus during Elul, Gamachi Bina, to understand the meaning of life and to, to come to very high levels of transformation. Which is really true. Which is really the Akiv Chuva. All right, Thank you, everyone. I get the night.